Awesome. Are you guys with me? Are you ready? You okay? I'm super excited about this. If you weren't here last week, um, this is part two of a message that I've prepared. The first part was last week. Um, if you weren't there, you need to go listen to it because today won't make sense until you've heard it. Um, so go and listen to it, chew on it. For those of you that were here last week, I hope during the week you were chewing on that word, you were going through it, listening to it, wrestling with it, letting God change things in your heart, letting Him adjust your perspective, shifting the way that you see the church, the way that you approach the church. Um, and so my, my deepest prayer is that there's still a hunger in the body of Christ for the teaching from the apostles, from the gifts. There's still a hunger to be transformed, to be equipped. Is there a hunger? Okay, good. That's a good thing. Um, so if you haven't, please go and listen to it on the website um, or on Sound. Cloud, iTunes, so go and listen to that. But today we're going to speak about part two. Um, the, the big topic is the church. I'm talking about the church. Last week we spoke about uh, the church versus an institution um, and how the churches in the West specifically has become so institutional where we have had to externally motivate believers. What do I mean by that? I mean that we have to put in programs and systems to actually get believers to follow Jesus. So suddenly it creates a culture where people come in and it's like, what is the church doing for the poor? And they're expecting a response of, well, we've got this program and this program, and we're reaching these different places because of these systems. And rather than actually saying, what are you doing for the poor? Because I don't know what every single one of you are doing for the poor, and you're the church. So the church is not built on systems. It's not built on programs. It's built on relationship. It's built on transformation. It's built on family. And so we discussed that last week. I'm not going to go back into that, but please go and listen to it. It sets a big foundation for what we're going to talk about today. Um, last week, I kind of painted a picture in terms of where the church has been. And, and sadly, where it had gone a little bit uh, haywire and didn't really know what it was doing and became institutional, all that stuff. So I, I painted a picture of that. And today, we're going to talk about the true church, and we're going to talk about how to actually be that. You ready for that? Yeah. So if you're taking notes, you can title it Being the Church, um, and we are going to dive in. I'm not much of a teacher. I'm kind of more of an evangelist heart, so I look for salvations in everything. Um, I'm generally trying to get people saved and transformed and whatever, but today I'm going to try and teach a little bit, um, so I'm asking Holy Spirit to come and equip me to do that, but I want to go through some scripture and actually break down a couple simple truths and key foundations of the local church that I think we've actually missed. I think we've, we've read it so much and seen the scriptures that we just kind of blow over it so quickly, thinking we know it, and we've missed the actual principles and foundations of what it means to be a family, what it means to be a church. God is not building a business. He's not building a restaurant. He didn't die and, and pay a price for employees. He didn't even die for soldiers. He died for sons and daughters. So we have to be, understand that the clear picture that God is trying to paint this morning for you is that he died for a family. He's building a family. The local church is supposed to be a family. Okay, awesome. Are you ready? You can turn to Acts chapter two. <clears throat> so let me just share a little bit of what's going on here. Acts chapter 2, Holy Spirit has just come and filled a group of people in the upper room. 120 people were, were seeking Jesus. There was more of them, but, but over time, over the time that they were waiting, a couple of them left. And they ended up just being 120 hungry people. What we were singing about this morning is we were saying, if you're hungry, he'll fill you. I, th I don't know how many were there originally, 500 and something. There was about 500 people in the room. By the end of the 10 days or whatever it was that they were waiting, there was 120 120 people, hungry people out of 500. So that's a good thing just to understand that God actually fills hungry people. He's looking for hungry people. Hunger looks like something. Hunger looks like a group of people that are prepared to stay a little longer, who are prepared to wait a little longer, who are prepared to just hang around and linger and say, okay, Lord, we, we're going for the more. We're hungry for the more. 
So in Acts chapter two, this has happened. Holy Spirit has, has come down. He's invaded. He's filled them. They were so filled with Holy Spirit that they actually seemed drunk, that people looked at them and said, they're drunk. And then he said, but it's only nine o'clock in the morning, guys, come on. He wasn't drunk, but he was so filled with the Holy Spirit. They were speaking in other tongues, so much so that other people from other uh, regions and lands were coming and hearing their own tongue spoken by these people. It was an incredible outpouring manifestation of Holy Spirit. Peter gets up and begins to preach because people start to gather. There's a big commotion. You can imagine when fire starts appearing on people's heads and the Holy Spirit has invaded and there's people speaking in different languages that they don't even understand, it causes a bit of a commotion. So a whole bunch of people get together. Peter gets up and he preaches this powerful word um, of repentance. And listen to this. We're just going to read from... Uh, let's read from verse 37. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. So let me just make sure that you don't read your Bible just blase. Picture this in your head. Peter gets up and he preaches a word. There's a, a crowd of people have gathered because there's a whole lot of commotion going on. They gather together. Peter preaches this incredible word. They are cut to the heart. There is a, there is a conviction inside of them where they realize what they've done. They realize their need for a savior. It's the foundation of the church, folks. It's a whole bunch of people getting together and realizing their need for a savior. And Peter, they asked Peter, Peter, what shall we do? What, how, do we, how do we make this right? And he says, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins and you'll receive the Holy Spirit. And then he says, save yourself from this crooked generation. So straight away, there's a clear line in the sand that the church is not called to be the same as a crooked generation. Straight away, he's saying, save yourselves from the way. Save yourselves from, from this way of the world. Get out of that thing. Repent, be baptized, be transformed and come into a new and living way. It's the very first thing Peter's saying. It's the, it's the beginning of the church. He's saying, there's a way that the world is living and we cannot be a part of it. Save yourself from this crooked, crooked generation and come into a new and living way. Repent, be baptized. Change your way of thinking so you can't be the same. It's the foundation of the church. Transformation is the foundation of the local church. Are you with me? Listen to what happened. So, so picture this, 3,000 people in one day get saved. Three, just, just understand this for a second. Imagine in one day, 3,000 unbelievers in Joburg got saved. That's quite a commotion. From 120 people in a room, suddenly to 3,000 in one sermon. Now, I'm taking a little bit of license here, but I don't think there was 3,000 people standing in front of Peter when he preached. I think he preached a word, a group of people caught it, and in a day, this thing was, was spreading like wildfire, where guys, you gotta, did you see what happened? You don't understand. You don't, did you hear that the Holy Spirit came down, Peter got up and spoke? To, there's this reproduction of the gospel, right? 3,000 people in one day, that turns a city upside down. Verse 42, this is where I wanna break this down a little bit. My Bible has a little title above it, it says, The Fellowship of the Believers. You gotta understand, here's three, the church has grown to over 3,000 people in a day, what do these 3,000 people do now? What did they become? They've repented, they've been baptized, they've been filled with Holy Spirit, now what? What does this look like? What have we been saved into? What is this picture of all, what's the point of all of us getting together? Listen to this. 
Verse 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, most of us have read this scripture and we read it kind of casually, read it through, and it's really cool. There's a couple things in there that we like. I wanna break this down and, and actually just talk about what's going on here. A whole group of people have come together and the natural response to being filled with Holy Spirit is family. Let's explain why. The fellowship of the believers. Number one, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. As a family, as a local church, we cannot become what he's called us to be. We cannot be, become what he's created us to be as the body of Christ without devoting ourselves to the teaching of the apostles. What do I mean by that? I mean that the, the, God has, has set apart apostles and prophets and teachers and evangelists and a fivefold gift to equip the saints. We cannot become what he's called us to be without that. They're there to equip us, not to do the job for us, to equip us, to make sure that we're staying on the path, to make sure that we understand this new and living way that God's called us to live in. So number one, we cannot be a family if we're not hungry and if we're not devoted to the, the apostles' teaching. You with me? Number two, devotion to the fellowship. This is one that I wanna break down a little more. They devoted themselves to the fellowship. Here's a group of people that realize that we've been born into something new. It's a born again experience. I was living one way, that died. I've been born again into something new. I've been born into a new family. So what do they do? They devote themselves to that fellowship. That means they commit. See, the local church, joining a church is not a casual thing. It's a life-changing, eternal commitment. We have made it way too easy for people to join the church and leave the church. Way too easy. It's too blasé. Because here, these guys devote themselves to the fellowship because they realize it's a life-changing, eternal commitment to a family that I'm gonna be with forever. You will grow where you are planted. How many of you believe that? It makes sense, right? You'll grow where you're planted. If you're not planted, you won't grow. So why do we expect growth in the church if we haven't planted ourselves in it? Let me put it this way. You cannot anticipate the fruit of the local church if you never attend it. Makes sense, right? You cannot anticipate the fruit of the local church if you never attend it. What do I mean by that? Well, I've been in hospital for three weeks and I'm so sore and tired and nobody's come to visit me or whatever. Well, nobody knew that you were in the hospital. I have a relationship with Holy Spirit, but not I'm still getting to that level, right? See, the, the, the healthy stories of local church is when someone goes to hospital and a whole group of people are, within day one, they're feeding and, and making meals and visiting and whatever. We've had some awesome, I mean, Rosemary was in the hospital, Hannah was in the hospital. We've had awesome testimonies of guys standing together and I wanna honor the church for that because thank you for actually becoming a picture of family. But here's the important thing. If you've been in a situation where you felt like, I need help from the church, why is the church not helping me? Do they know? Are there people in your life who are actually doing life with you where they actually understand what you're walking in and walking it with you, journeying it with you so that when you do slip up or you fall or, you, uh, you know, or you're in a difficult dark season that you've got people around you that can pick you up and point you towards Jesus? 
Not a whole bunch of people that send out a message to a prayer chain that spreads across the whole of flippin' Africa to pray for someone that we don't know. We have made prayer this little tool where we take faith and we try and plug it into a situation to make it work. And it's not the church. The church is that God has put people around you to walk a journey with you. Am I against praying for people you don't know? Of course not. What I'm saying though is that the model is that there's brothers and sisters around you because you've devoted yourself to the fellowship. You're doing life with people. If I'm in a rut, if I'm in a mess, if I'm stuck in a, in a certain uh, season or situation, I need people around me that can pick me up and take me forward. Come on. Good. Are you with me? You cannot anticipate the fruit of the church if you don't attend it. It's a simple thing. I cannot anticipate or expect uh, the fruit of relationship with my dad if I never spend time with him. I can't expect for us to have a close relationship and build trust between each other if we never spend time together. Makes sense, right? So why do we treat the church different? I'll tell you why. Because people want to be treated like family by the church, but don't want to treat the church like family. We want to be treated like family by the church, but we don't want to actually treat the church like family. See, because family costs. For majority of us, it's, well, my family, my personal family, I've got a lot going on right now. You don't understand. That's beautiful. If that's what you want to say when you stand before Jesus one day, bless you. I'm praying for you. The reality is there's a greater vision that has to triumph your personal agenda. You okay? If your personal family, your little, little family at home, which is, by the way, guys, the training ground for the eternal family. God gave you a personal family to actually teach you what relationship looks like for the greater body. He taught you how to father. He taught you how to mother. He taught you how to have relationship with a spouse the same way he wants you to have relationship with him. Those are shadows. It's a, it's, a, he's trying, it's a training ground for you to understand how you're supposed to operate within the body. But what we've done is that we've substituted it. We've said, actually, this is what it's about. God cares more about my personal family than he does about the, the eternal bride. And most of you are sitting going, yeah, because this is what you've believed for so long. And I promise you now, you're going to catch a huge wake up when you stand before him because he's building something bigger than you. He's building something bigger than you and your little family. You and your little family have been strategically placed in a greater body to become a bigger picture of family that counts for eternity. You won't be married to your spouse and your daughter's not gonna be your biological daughter when you get to heaven. We're all brothers and sisters. The point of your relationship and your personal family is to teach you how to operate in the greater body. Family produces maturity. We spoke about this last week. I just want to break this down a little bit. When I was a little boy, my parents had to tell me to go brush my teeth. I didn't just go do it on my own. If it was up to me, I would never have brushed my teeth, ever. But they had to say, Connor, go brush your teeth. Oh, I don't want to go brush your teeth. Oh, fine. Go brush my teeth. But guess what? As I got older and as I grew up and as I matured, I started brushing my teeth on my own. Still do to this day, believe it or not. What is that picture? It's a picture of maturity. It's a silly example, but catch the, the concept. It's a picture of maturity. It started out with external motivation, but the goal was always that I should be internally motivated to be mature enough to do that. What we've done as a church is that we've continued to be an externally motivated people where we've got systems and programs because if we don't have them, nothing happens. This is coming, let's just be honest and vulnerable together, guys. Coming from someone who's seen the ins and outs of church leadership, even from a young age, 
you will be surprised at how if you don't have a system in place, nothing happens. It just doesn't happen. It doesn't function. If you don't initiate something and set up something that's going to run itself, it doesn't happen. And I'll tell you why. Because the body of Christ right now in the Western world across the earth is immature. Because what immaturity means is that there's a lack of personal responsibility within the body, within the bride. See, a mature family member takes personal responsibility for their house. That makes sense, right? If my dad's not there and we have guests over, I take personal responsibility for that house. I know how he runs the household. Because <laughs> I'm family, I've watched him do it for years. I know how there's certain rules, there's certain things that we do, there's a culture within this house. We won't tolerate things that don't come in line with that. This makes sense, right? God wants to awaken us again to the fact that you actually, there's a personal responsibility that God's calling you to take. It's your house. It's your family. You're a part of the body that nobody else can be. Without you, we're lacking. I've said this so many times that I'm not sure if it's sinking in. That means that if you're not there, I'm missing a body part. I cannot function properly in what God has called me to do and all of us to do if you're not there. He's created us to be dependent on each other. See, the world's screaming independence at you, specifically ladies as well. The world is screaming independence at you. You've got to set yourself up so that you don't have, you don't have to rely or, or trust or, or need anyone. You can do it yourself. That's the pressure of the world. God's saying, actually, all of that stuff is dead. What you need is to be dependent on me and on each other. Because actually, that's how I advance the kingdom. We cannot be a family if we're not dependent on each other. If you don't need me, are we really family? And I'm not talking about need on an identity base. I'm talking about need on a relational base where we say, actually, I need you because when we do it together, it's better than me just doing it on my own. We, we actually can achieve more together than me just doing it on my own. Cool. <clears throat> Everyone all right? I want to show you some cool things, right? So, so we, we said uh, devotion to the fellowship. Next one, they, they were devoted to the breaking of bread, to communion. Communion has become such a tradition within the church that it's lost its holiness. This is what I mean. For majority of Christians, the only time that they actually take communion is the once a month that we do it corporately. <laughs> do you know where communion started? At a dining room table with Jesus and some mates. Do you know where communion started in the church? In each other's homes. <laughs> it's, if it's weird that I invite you to my house to have communion with me, we're pretty far from this picture. It should be normal that when we get together in our time of fellowship and in our time of prayer and as we're spending time together because we're a spiritual people, we actually break bread with one another. It should be peculiar to the world, but not to us. Jesus did it. That's what I do. I remember him. I, if we can't remember Jesus every time we get together, we're probably a little bit off the picture. They were devoted to prayer. Individually, corporately, they were devoted to prayer together. An awe came upon every soul. A healthy fear of God came upon every soul. I really believe that we've actually lost this in the church. We've lost a healthy fear of God, a reverence, an awe on every soul where when we get together, worshiping Him corporately is not casual. 
There is, a, there is a reverence, there is an awe as the body of Christ get together to worship Jesus. It's the most intimate and incredible and, and powerful thing that the body of Christ can do, corporate worship, coming together to shift atmospheres. Um, uh, my heart is that there would be a holy awe and a reverence that comes over the church once again. Signs and wonders through the apostles, a culture of miracles in the church. All who believed were together. This is an interesting one. All who believed were together. Are we talking about a group of people that stayed in one room all the time? No, we're not talking about that. We're talking about a group of people that were together. Why? Because they did life together. They built a community where they were involved in each other's lives. It was normal that my house is open, what's mine is yours, yours is mine. That's the culture. The culture is that we do life together. We're in each other's homes, in each other's lives, in the workplace together. Everywhere that we go, we're together. If you can't do business with Christians because, oh, Christians or whatever have got this reputation, you've missed the whole point. We're supposed to do life together. If we've been placed in the same sphere, it's probably because we're called to do it together and to advance the kingdom in that sphere. A togetherness in the body is realizing that we're called to do life together, which means you're going to see a heck of a lot of me, and I'm going to see a heck of a lot of you, and I've got to be okay with that. And I've got to be mature enough to let the greater vision triumph over my personal agenda and my little irritations and the, the things that you do that rub me up the wrong way. I have to get over that stuff. And actually say, there's a greater vision, and it's building a family. God is advancing the kingdom, which means we do life together. <laughs> I love this, this, they just throw this thing away. It says, um, and they had all things in common. And I read that, I'm like, what does that look like? Because that's a big statement. They had all things in common. This is what it means. And I've made the statement twice today, jumped the gun a little bit. But it didn't mean that these were a whole bunch of people that were the same, you know, a whole bunch of Jesus robots that all did the same thing, said the same things, acted the same way. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about all things in common. We are talking about a group of people who understood what it meant to put the greater vision before personal agenda. You can have a personal agenda and you can have a, an idea and an opinion and a, whatever it is that you have, you've got to lay it down for the greater vision. When you do that, we have all things in common because we're going after the same thing. Our reason for living is the same. And when your reason for living is the same, it triumphs personal agenda. If we just caught that thing today, it would change so much in the local church. If you laid down your personal agenda, your opinion, your goals, your dreams, your idea of how it should happen, you lay that all down for the greater vision, for the body of Christ, for the family that God's building, for the kingdom that he's advancing, for the picture of, of love and community that he's building. If you lay it down for that, you'll have all things in common and you'll find that there's a unity that starts to come naturally. You don't have to put it on. You don't have to try hard for it. It's natural because we're all after the same thing. They sold their possessions and belongings to care for the needy. Part of this culture of family, this kingdom culture in the church, church is a death to self culture where nothing, none of this stuff has a hold on me because I've, I've been born again. I've been taken out of this way of living in the world and I've been born into a new and living way. And it's a, it's a born again experience. I'm brand new, which means I have new desires, new wants. Everything changes. My reason for living has changed. My stuff, my belongings, my possessions doesn't have a hold on me. In the local church, the culture of the kingdom is this. There is no such thing as I have and you don't. It's not in there. In the culture of the kingdom, there is no such thing as I have and you don't. 
That's a capitalist mindset. That's a, that's a worldly way of thinking. When God's actually saying, if this stuff doesn't have a hold on me, how can I, as a brother, watch somebody else in my family go without when I know that I have a way to make that happen? It's not about setting up a system and a scheme to feed the poor. It's about brothers and sisters coming together and saying, I cannot go with what I have knowing that she doesn't. It's a relational thing. It's not a systematic thing. It's a relational thing. The reason why we need systems is because we're too proud and arrogant to actually let people into our lives so that we can actually develop friendship and relationship. We don't want to be exposed. We, we don't want to be vulnerable. We're too scared to let people into our mess. So it's easier to have a system to do something to accomplish it rather than be relational. The problem is the system builds nothing. It might look like it, but when you stand before Jesus, it builds nothing because he's about people, not about systems. He's not about statistics. It doesn't matter how many people you say said a prayer. How many of them are plugged into a local church and part of the family of God? How many of those people that you got to say a prayer do you actually disciple? Because he didn't say go make converts. He said go make disciples. That one went down like lead. <laughs> you okay? We'll come back to that one. That's part seven. <laughs> day by day, attending the temple together. Well, they just shoots coffee shop churches in the foot. Oh, you know, we're, we're the church. So let's just get together, whoever wants to, we'll just go sit and have coffee, talk about Jesus, maybe sing Kumbaya once or twice, have a couple espressos and then go home. That's not church. You are not the church individually. We are the church corporately. There is a place for corporate gatherings like this. They did it day by day at the temple. It's the most beautiful thing when the body gets together and actually fills a room and you can begin to see a small little glimpse of what it's gonna look like in heaven when everyone gets together. These gatherings, these corporate gatherings is a little taste, a little glimpse of what heaven's gonna look like. Surely you wanna be a part of that. Breaking bread in their homes with thankfulness and generosity. Walking in favor. I'll take a little side trail here on this. I want to ask you this question. Is your personal home, your personal house, a household of acts? A household of acts. What do I mean by that? If you look at these homes of these believers in the book of Acts, it's normal for you to come into my house and have communion. It's normal for you to come into my house and we pray together. It's normal for you to come into my house and something supernatural happens, healings break out. It's normal for you to come into my house and we sit and talk about the church and talk about Jesus and, and, and fellowship and, and discuss the teachings of the apostles and, and, and grow together and mature together. And it's normal. It's normal that if you're sick and you come to my house, you don't leave sick. Are you building a household of acts? If 24-7 if church could be a, a, a family of a whole lot of these households that all come together, it's the most powerful and beautiful thing that the world has ever seen. That's what we're fighting for. That's what we're contending for, beloved. 
We don't want to just build something that's shallow and it might spread wide, but it only goes this deep. We want to build something that has meaning. We want to build something that actually transformation is a fruit in our everyday lives. It's not just about praying for the dude's knee on the streets. It's about praying for his knee, getting him saved, getting him plugged into a local church and discipling him. Where's the, the course for the new believers? In your living room. You've been anointed, you've been called, you've been set apart for the work of the ministry. If you get someone saved and they get healed and whatever and, and they want to be a part of the church, you're the one who takes them on that journey. We don't need a team that handle that area within the church. You are the team. And the Lord adds to their number daily. Why does he add to their number daily? Because we can't grow the church. He grows it. But guess what? When you've built a healthy wineskin, when you've built a culture of the kingdom, when you've built a family, it's easy to grow. Because when people come in, they belong. They get set free. They get transformed. And then guess what? They go and make disciples. How many people are you discipling? Are you discipling anyone? And if you're making disciples, a healthy fruit of discipleship is that those disciples begin to make more disciples. It's how the church grows. Acts chapter four. Um, again, let me just give you the context because we can't read too much through it. But here, Peter and John, they're preaching, they get arrested, and they get absolutely brutally beaten for the gospel. They get whipped hard. And it's their first taste of persecution. It's their first kind of experience where they realize, oh, shucks, this is actually serious. Like, we could lose our lives today. Like, yay, it's been awesome, and we've got all this incredible outpouring and manifestations of the Holy Spirit. Now, actually, they start to realize this is going to cost us everything. This, is gonna, this could cost us our lives today. There is an awakening to this. They suddenly realize, they come back to the church. They share this with the church. They say, guys, it's getting real out there. We got whipped. We got brutally beaten for the gospel. We could lose our lives for this thing. Guess what the response of the church is? God, look upon their threats and grant us the boldness to continue to preach the gospel. See, because here's the thing about the church in Acts. They weren't about self-preservation. They were about advancement. And they said, okay, it's getting tough, it's getting hard, it's gonna cost us everything. God, we can't do this on our own. But you look upon their threats, you heard what they said, you see what they're doing. Give us the boldness to continue to do so no matter what, no matter the cost. Because I'm prepared to live for something greater than myself. The response of the church was advance, not hold back, not shrink back, not let's hide, let's lay low for a while till this blows over and then we'll try again. It's give us the boldness to continue to preach the gospel. And then guess what happens? This is their prayer. Now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. This is verse 29. Verse 30, while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. 31, and when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. There is something about, there is something about seeing the greater vision and saying, God, I lay everything else down for what you are building. No matter the cost, no matter the, the persecution or the beatings or the whatever it is, I know what you're building. I'm gonna be a part of that. Give me the boldness to continue to preach the gospel because I wanna advance the body. There's something about that that the Holy Spirit loves. 
And so what he does there is he fills them. The, the last time that they'd had that shaking was at Pentecost. And suddenly the room is shaking again and they're filled with Holy Spirit. They're filled with a boldness and they go out. And guess what happens? The fruit of this thing is, now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony, their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or households sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Guess what happens? They're advancing the gospel. They're filled with boldness to continue to turn their city upside down for Jesus, no matter the cost. And the fruit of that is that the family actually starts to look brighter and brighter and brighter. There's more people selling their lands. There's, there's a unity that's, that they cannot explain. One heart, one soul, a whole thousands and multitudes of people. One heart, one soul. Why? Because the greater vision counted for more than the personal agenda. They come together and there's purpose and there's vision. Jump to Acts chapter five. It's a, it's a beautiful, I'm not gonna read all the scriptures just for time's sake, but read uh, verses 12 through to verse 16. It says that the, the culture of the supernatural is so incredible there's signs, wonders, healings happening through the apostles. So much so that the church gathers together in Solomon's portico and the rest of the people dare not just join them. And it even says they held them in high esteem. There was so much going on. It was so intense. The presence of God was so intense on the people of God. The signs, wonders, and miracles. There was a culture of the supernatural that it wasn't just a blase, hey, what's going on here? Let me come and sit and see how you do church and whatever. There's none of that. There was a, they held them in high esteem. It didn't just join. It's not a casual thing. They, they recognized that this is a life-changing eternal event. I don't just walk in and join. I'm actually like, what is going on here? Whoa. This is intense. It gets so intense that people from other regions are bringing the sick and laying them on the streets so that Peter's shadow might touch them so that they can get healed. That is the intensity of the culture of the, of the supernatural that's happening within the church. Jump to Acts chapter six. I hope you're getting a picture here of what church looks like. I'm gonna wrap this up. Acts chapter six. This is a, a, a little side thing, but it's gonna help us understand something. How did the church in Acts handle administration? We want to handle administration as a church with methods and systems, structures. They handled administration by appointing seven people filled with the Holy Spirit. Let me show you the difference. The church is growing in Acts. It's, it's pumping. People are getting saved, healing, signs, wonders, miracles. It's just outrageous. It's incredible what God's doing. And in all of that, they had accidentally and unintentionally Missed that the widows were not getting food. They weren't getting their needs met. And so the, the Greeks, the Hellenists, they come and say, oh, you're saying all this stuff, but look at the widows. There's a couple of widows in your community that actually aren't getting fed. What's the response of the church? The apostles get together and they say, we cannot stop the preaching and teaching of the word to wait on tables. So what do we do? Let's get seven people filled with the Holy Spirit, men of God that are filled with the Holy Spirit, and let's entrust this to them. So who, who are the kind of people that they bring in? Stephen. 
Stephen's a great example. This dude is so full of Holy Spirit that he, as he begins to do this, as he begins to, uh, as he's led by Holy Spirit to feed and to look after the widows and to administrate all the stuff that's going on within the church, he's so filled with Holy Spirit that signs, wonders, and the supernatural are happening even more in his life at that time than the apostles. So much so that he's causing more of a wave than even the apostles because there's so much going on. He's on the ground. He's, he's administrating and facilitating all the needs. And as he's meeting widows, he's praying for the sick and, and people are getting healed and transformed. So much so that the government and the religious leaders go after him. He's the first one that gets martyred because it's like, whoa, who's this dude? He came out of nowhere. Imagine church administration that instead of putting systems in place, we've got people full with Holy Spirit that are administrating the needs and the... And the, the administration of the church, but in doing that, they're actually advancing the kingdom and building a culture of the supernatural within the family. See, we want to make administration systematic. God wants to make administration about men and women of God who are filled with Him, because it's not about your little ticking of the boxes. It's about people, and unfortunately, you can't build a family with systems. You have to build it on relationships, and so when you're trying to do the administration of a family, if you just put up a system, generally there's rebellion going on. But when it's relational, and we're teaching people how to care for one another. Cool. I'm going to end with this little idea. Advancing the kingdom is the body of Christ. Before I get there, I just want to make one, one point that's maybe a practical thing that'll help us. How do you build community? How do, right now, you might be sitting there and saying, okay, what do I do? How do I do this? How do I be a part of this picture? What's a practical thing that I can do? Let me ask you this question. First and foremost, who are you doing life with? And it's not about looking across this room and saying, well, I like them, don't like them, I think I'll invite them. I think It's not about that. Who are you doing life with? If you're not doing life with this community, you cannot call it family. We have to get over our likes and dislikes and who irritates me and doesn't irritate me and actually say it's about building family. I've got to lay down my personal agenda and my personal preferences and actually see the greater vision. Who am I doing life with? Who am I inviting around to my house? Who are the people that are, are doing life with me that know the things that I'm journeying? I'm journeying with them. We're, we're, we're walking together. We're doing life together. If you're sitting there and waiting for your leaders to invite you over and, 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 and that's what you think is gonna build community, you're going to be heavily disappointed because it might work for 30 or 40 people, but what happens when 3,000 get saved in a day? Your leaders can't meet with all of you. So who meets with you? Who disciples you? Who walks a road with you? Who journeys with you? When we started home groups, it's because if, if, we didn't, if we didn't put home groups in, nobody did life together. And now I'm saying, actually, we can't put external motivation into something to try and get believers to follow Jesus. It has to come from an internal motivation. It has to come from a transformed life. So what I'm saying is today, you're sitting there and you're saying, how can I be a part of this? Well, ask yourself the big question and say, what am I actually doing? How am I actually investing into this family? Am I building relationship with the people sitting around me? Do I even see these people other than on a Sunday morning? Do I know what's happening in their lives with their families and their workplaces? Am I praying for them? Do I ever break bread with these people? If you're sitting there this morning, you say, how do I do this? 
How, how do you build your own family at home? I don't know, like one of the things I do with my folks is if we get real busy and I'm doing stuff and they're doing stuff and it gets a couple weeks go by, then I always say, hey, why don't we go and get some coffee or we'll go and get a milkshake or whatever and, and let's connect. And I'll take my parents and we'll go, or they'll take me, whatever, and we'll go and sit and have breakfast together or a milkshake together and just chat and share a vision and what God's saying and whatever. And you connect. You, I can't expect to be close with them if we don't have time together. And the more you do that, the more you actually build family. You cannot expect to feel like family if you don't treat the church like family. Okay. There's two things that are happening in local churches and in the church. Number one, what God's doing right here in your community. Number two, what he's doing through you to reach the nations. Those are the two things, right? So what we're doing here in our community is we're building a kingdom culture of family that's actually advancing the kingdom here in, within these four walls with this group of people, also out into the homes and into our city. We're making disciples. We wanna see a city transformed. We wanna see, like in Jerusalem, 3,000 people saved in a day. We wanna see multitudes of men and women coming to know Jesus and being a part of a family. That's what we're doing here in Johannesburg. Do you understand that? And, and I wanna encourage you that, that the leadership of this church will never accomplish that, never. It'll never, never happen. If you're waiting for the leaders of churches in Johannesburg to accomplish that, it won't happen. God's waiting for laid down lovers of God God's waiting for sons and daughters to realize who they are and understand that they've been given the work of the ministry to make him known. It's only gonna happen when the church, the church, not the church leaders, the church, rise up together and realize that we're called for something greater. There is a greater vision that counts for more than my current situation. I have to continue to see that and move in that direction. As we begin to do that, we're gonna see church grow. God, in Johannesburg, God's placed 24-7 church here to model this thing. And it takes time because you have to dig deep. You have to dig, dig up the old wells. You have to break certain mindsets. You have to change the way that we think so that we get equipped to live this way. That's what we've been going through, guys. But the season has shifted now where it's not, no longer just about sitting and receiving. It's now time to say, all the stuff that's been put inside of me has to go somewhere, otherwise I become a sick Christian. All the stuff that's being taught, that I've been equipped with, that I'm being filled with, it has to come out somewhere else. I have to go and give it to someone else. I have to go and teach. I have to go and explain. I have to go and share the gospel. I have to have people in my living room that I can share this with because if I don't, I just become a sick and, and stagnant Christian. And the problem is what happens is you get frustrated because you're in the, in the middle of desire and pursuit and you're not going anywhere and suddenly you become political. There's a political spirit because you feel like you've got the knowledge to have an opinion about everything, but you actually do nothing. I didn't mean to go that heavy, but you know what I'm saying. On a local scale, what God wants to do is he wants to change Johannesburg through a family. On a translocal scale, I'll jump across to Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11, what's happened is when Stephen was martyred, a whole lot of people scattered, were spread out because of fear. There was hectic persecution going on. They no longer were just beating people, they were killing people, stoning them dead. 
So people scatter, they're afraid. A couple of the Christians, except for the apostles, they stayed, but a couple of the Christians, they actually scatter. Even Philip, who's one of the seven that were uh, appointed to administer the, or do the administration of the church, he scatters too. He goes to um, Samaria and he preaches the gospel there and a whole lot of amazing things happen and Holy Spirit falls on them and Peter goes and joins and there's this beautiful picture. I'd encourage you to read it. I think it's in uh, Acts chapter eight. I'd encourage you to go read that and just see a picture of the apostolic. But I wanna go to chapter 11 because listen to this, right? What's happened in chapter 10 is that Peter gets this vision. He goes to Cornelius' house. A whole bunch of Gentiles get filled with Holy Spirit. Suddenly they're like, oh, this is not just for the Jews. This is for everyone. Oh, wow, Lord, this is so much bigger. We thought it was just for the Jews. Now we're seeing this as a worldwide thing. This is for everyone. So he comes back to the church and he reports this. And they're going like, whoa, this is mind-blowing revelation. God wants to touch the whole earth. Listen to what happens from verse 19, chapter 11, verse 19. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, other translations say some people, I love that, unnamed, unknown, some people, right? Men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, Hellenists, by the way, is non-speaking Jews, they're Greeks, um, spoke to the Hellenists, <clears throat> also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. So let me tell you what's happened here. There's a whole bunch of people that have been scattered. They end up in Antioch. They're, they're a little nervous, so they're preaching the gospel just to the Jews. But some people, unnamed, a couple of bold, radical, laid down lovers of Jesus, decide we're gonna go speak to some Greeks and actually tell them the good news. And they do it, and the hand of the Lord's on them, and suddenly there's an outbreak of Holy Spirit. People get saved, transformed, healed, so much so that every day people are being added to this community, and suddenly they're going, oh, I think we planted a church. We've got a whole lot of people gathering together. Holy Spirit's breaking out. It's going wild. And guess what? It's so hectic. There's so much going on that news gets to Jerusalem, right? The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. So the church in Jerusalem get this news. It comes back and says, by the way, the gospel has broken out into Antioch. It's the most incredible thing. Signs, wonders, miracles are happening. We need some help. And so they send Barnabas, and Barnabas goes there, and he sees the fruit, the healthy fruit of the church. He's going like, wow, this is God. God is all over this. People are getting saved, transformed, healed. Disciples are being made. He goes to Tarsus, fetches Paul, brings Paul there, and for a whole year, they equip and teach the disciples who they're actually called to be. And guess what? It's the most powerful apostolic church at that time, because in a year, they get so equipped that they're actually already praying and fasting and asking God what he's saying for the advancement of the kingdom, that Holy Spirit speaks to them, and he says, set apart Paul and Barnabas for the work of the ministry. Ministry. Already in a year, they're already sending out missionaries. In one year, they're sending out. We've got, to, we've got to expand. More people have to know. There is a culture of advancing the kingdom. There is a culture of there has to be more than just us. Yes, we're changing Antioch. The city's being turned upside down. Thousands are coming to know Jesus every day, but there's more. There's a greater vision. A healthy church, a healthy church raises and, and, and produces apostolic hearts, apostolic mindsets where people are thinking advance. They're thinking, yes, Joburg, but also South Africa. Yes, South Africa, but also Africa. Yes, Africa, but also the world. People have to think like that. We've stopped dreaming, church. We've stopped dreaming with God and realizing that he wants to do something so huge. He's doing it, by the way, across the earth. All you have to do is just listen, and you'll hear that all these stories are coming together. What's happening in Nepal is unbelievable. It, the, Christianity is only 60 years old in Nepal, and it is one of the fastest growing underground churches in the world right now. 
So I want to give you some keys, quick little, a couple keys to the advancement of the kingdom as the body of Christ. Number one, apostolic advancement is a supernatural thing. It cannot be a system. We cannot make advancing the gospel a system again. We cannot make it a program where we've got so-and-so and so-and-so, we bring them through this little thing, and then they graduate or whatever, and now you're going to go on this thing and this mission, and we're going to send you to that place, and you're going to feed back. That's not what we're talking about. It's a supernatural thing. A group of people get together, they're praying and fasting, and Holy Spirit speaks to the church and says, set them apart for the work of the ministry. They go, and guess what they do? Paul and Barnabas, they go and they plant churches in communities where the gospel has never been heard, and then guess what they do after that? They continue to build relationally with those churches. Paul actually fathers them. The apostolic mandate, the apostolic call of God on the local church is a father-son relationship. It's done through fathers and sons. It's not done through employees. We're not employing people to go and, and, you know, spread the message. It's done through fathers and sons. Paul goes, plants these churches, raises up leaders, establishes leaders in that church, and then fathers them. Even when he's traveling all over the place, he's still writing letters to them to say, I'm hearing of the things that are happening. Here's some apostolic input. Here's some fatherly advice. Let me make sure that you're seeing the greater vision. Let me make sure that you know what you've been born into. One of the key things as well is partnering with established, relating local churches across the nations. If you look at these guys, they worked together. There was a team of people. There was a team of guys that were operating. Paul would say, I've got to go here. God's told me to go here, but I know that they're, they're needing help in this area, so I'm going to send Timothy. Or I'm going to send Silas. Or I'm going to leave Silas here, and I'm going to go. There's this team thing where they're realizing we have to partner with other people. We can't do it on our own. We need each other. We need a team. We need, and it goes beyond just 24-7 church. But, but beloved, within this church, God's raising up people with apostolic uh, mantles, apostolic mandates. And there's a team of people that will come through here that God wants to use to reach the nations. I'm not even going to go through the others because it just gets deeper and deeper. But God's had this word advance on my heart for a couple months now. And I've realized that it's, God wants us to advance in Johannesburg, and he wants us to advance into the nations. Do you understand, beloved, right now, that this local church is reaching five different nations right now at this moment? We've got Trevor and Rochelle in Thailand. We've got Gareth in Malaysia. We've got Gabriel in the Netherlands. We're reaching guys into Nepal. We've got another trip happening at the end of the year. We've built a relationship with a guy there, and we've got a second church plant in Botswana. I don't know about you, that's pretty supernatural to me because I look at this room and it's a pretty small group of people, but we're reaching five nations. If we're doing one thing right, is that we're inspiring believers to dream again. What Gabriel came to this church, two weeks, two weeks resonated with this church and said, you know what, this is God's taking me to the Netherlands. I thought it was for this, it's not for that, it's actually for the kingdom. I'm going to Netherlands to spy the land for three months. I've been in contact with him every week. He's telling me what's happening, what's going on there. It's super dry, it's a hard. And he's going like, we need to send teams in here. We need schools in here. They need training, they need teaching. They need... And he's ready to come back and share that with us and say, okay, now what? And we've got to be ready to say, we know what. Let's get teams together and send them in to actually advance the gospel in the Netherlands. Because there's churches in the big cities, but in the small towns, there's nothing. What makes a young 18-year-old, and Gareth's 21, 
what makes a 21-year-old, he's 21, eh? 21-year-old and an 18-year-old want to go and do this kind of stuff. There's a culture that's forming in this house, church. It's a kingdom culture. And I want to challenge you and encourage you this morning that if you let your personal agenda and your personal situation and your struggles and whatever it is that you're going through, if you let that triumph over the greater vision, you will be an ineffective Christian. But if you see what God's doing and you realize that you've been strategically placed in this family, to build the family within these four walls, to expand the family, to extend and do what God's called us to do in Johannesburg, but also for the nations. If you realize all of this, if you realize that God's placed you here as a strategic, uh, as a strategic place, but a specific part of this body, you will be an, an effective, influential Christian that actually makes disciples. You are called to make disciples. You're called to invite people into your home, to encourage, to equip, to train up, to get people saved. Can I encourage you with this? I was talking to some of the young guys and I just realized that if, if this year, and I challenge the church with this, if just this year, till the end of this year, if you just discipled 10 people each in a year, 10 people each, I don't know the maths, my dad could do that for you, but that is, that is radical advance in this local church. 10 people each, if every single one of you just reached 10 people, this room would be packed. The only reason why we wanna see this room packed is because I wanna see a city transformed. And the only way that we transform a city is by believers actually being a part of a family and being transformed within a house so that they can be sent to, to do the work of the ministry. If you're sitting here today and there's no desire in you to fill this room, this room is too small, beloved. There should be a desire in every single one of us to reach Johannesburg, to reach South Africa, to reach the nations. It's the commission, it's the call on every believer. Don't get caught up in your own little situation and forget that you live for something bigger than yourself. Don't get stuck in your little situation and forget your reason for waking up every morning. Mercy wakes you up. Tomorrow is not guaranteed. What are you gonna do today to advance the kingdom? He's doing it through the body. Love you guys. All right. Father, as a church, as 24-7 Christian church, God, we are not building a brand. We're not interested in titles and names, Lord God. We wanna see the body of Christ be established in Johannesburg. We wanna see the body of Christ be established in South Africa and in the nations, Lord God. So Father, we just right now as a, as a body, we repent where we've maybe put expectations on leaders to do things or we've, we've expected systems and programs to motivate us. God, we repent and we say, Lord, we wanna be an internally motivated group of people. We wanna be Christians that are so drenched in the Holy Spirit, that are so full of you, Lord God, that it comes naturally to be family. God, I thank you that you would encourage us, that you would come and reveal to us right now that we've been called to make disciples, that you've equipped us with everything that we need this morning, Lord God. You've equipped us with everything that we need to make disciples, that intro the introvert nature has died, the extrovert nature has died, that you've filled us with love, Lord Jesus, that we've become a, a walking picture of love everywhere that we go. And so Lord, I thank you that every person in this room would begin to reach the lost, would begin to do life with people, Lord God, would begin to see healings and, and miracles and signs and wonders in their everyday life, that their households would become households of acts, Lord God. I thank you, Jesus, that their families, that their families would, would build and produce uh, cultures of heaven in their houses, Lord God, where they'd have dreams and visions, Lord God, where you'd speak to them and equip them and train them for what you're calling them to do in the eternal family, in the, in the, in the 
the church and the eternal bride, Father. So I thank you for what you're doing in this house. Lord, we thank you for our teams that are out all over the world in five different nations right now. I thank you, Jesus, that your Holy Spirit just equips them, saturates them. I thank you for such a rest and a comfort on all five of our teams, Lord Jesus. I thank you, God, that you would do a supernatural work in them, that you would show them, open the doors that you've got for us in those nations, Lord God. Thank you that they would establish the, the right relationships and connections with people in those nations so that we can take the gospel where it, where, where it hasn't been spoken or, or shared before. Father, I just we just ask you right now to come, Holy Spirit, to do a work in every single one of our hearts to unify us. We wanna be a people of one heart and one soul, Lord Jesus. So I just thank you for your presence that's here. I thank you that you've shifted and adjusted our mindsets. God, we don't wanna be an institution. We wanna be a family. You didn't call us to be institutional. You called us to be relational. And so we wanna be that. Help us to model it. Give us the wisdom, Father. We pray for the leaders of our church. Lord God, give the leaders of this church the wisdom to facilitate, to administrate, Lord God, that it wouldn't be systems, but it would be led by Holy Spirit. It would be full of the Holy Spirit. We believe in heavenly structure, but I thank you, God, that you would come and equip us and show us how you wanna do this. God, we pray that you would give us the boldness to preach the gospel in this city, Lord God. Even though we have no persecution, even though that, that we're not getting whipped and beaten, God, I thank you that we should be a picture of, of an out, outrageous outpouring of your presence and your glory in this city. So give us the boldness, Lord Jesus. If you wanna just continue, just pray for each other, encourage each other, just begin to participate. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.